don't worry, they're not here to give you any marriage advice, but after listening, you may think that they need it. It's Cash and Casey on the Me versus Her podcast. Hey, it's the Me versus Her podcast. I'm your host, Cash. And I'm Casey. And before we talk about anything, I have to say what's up to our buddy S2H and his crew, Hollywood, Maddie, Kramer, and Hambone, over at the Monthly Trainwreck podcast. Um, I think you check them out. As, I believe it's monthlytrainwreck.com. They have interesting people on the show so far. They've had like a psychic, a doomsday prepper, other cool guests. I'm curious. They're supposed to have the doomsday prepper back, which I think is interesting now because, you know, everybody's thinking like the world's going to end, you know? We so need some tips and tricks. Right? So I've been meaning to give them a shout out on the show and I keep forgetting. So uh, make sure you guys check it out, monthlytrainwreck.com. Listen to their shows and um, yeah, enjoy them. They're a cool show. So if you're new to the show, welcome however you found us. It may have been by accident. If that's the case, I apologize, but now you must stay. And you actually lucked out because today we have ourselves a very special guest. I'm not even going to make you wait any longer. I want you guys to welcome to the show founder of Project Survival Cat Haven, Dale Anderson. Good morning. How's it going, Dale? Good morning, Dale. It's going well. Going well. They're located in Dunlap, California, which is probably about 40 miles, uh, 40 minutes away from Fresno. Is that correct, Dale? Yeah, we're about uh, 30 minutes drive to the uh, west of Kings Canyon National Park, if anybody wants a reference that way. And then about 40 miles from Fresno, east of Fresno. Okay. Yeah, so I grew up near Fresno, my, and my wife Casey here grew up in Clovis, so we're familiar with the area. But I'd never heard of the park um, while living out there, so we're definitely going to have to check it out once we're out there. Sure. We've, we've been operational 22 years now. It's, uh, again, one of these things where uh, it tends to be people that live locally tend to not know too much about what's around them, and you get more people from outside the area. It's one of those weird things that people just uh, – you know, until they move out, then they go, oh, I didn't know that was there. <laughs> so, yeah, we were going to, the reason we brought you on, we wanted you to let you talk about uh, your, what would you call a park or what's the best way to describe it? Well, we call ourselves a wild animal park. Okay. So, um, if unless you're living under a rock, I know a lot of people have been hearing or watching the uh, the Tiger the Tiger King documentary. So, we wanted to bring you on, let you talk about your place, and then get a little take uh, from you about what you think about this wild documentary, which is all over the place right now. Would like to hear what you have to say about them. Dale, for someone that's never been to a place like yours, what makes it different from a zoo? Is there any kind of difference at all? Well, yes and no. So when I built the cat even, you know, we're, we're talking, uh, I've been working with cats for 30 years now. Um, the whole idea of the cat even is I traveled around the world, looked at different zoos and saw uh, the way they did things and, and uh, operational wise. And I saw not very much was being done for conservation of cats in the wild. So in my day, you know, back then, if you took and looked at zoos, total budgets towards conservation, it was less than 1% of their budget went to conservation. Most of it was just at the zoo. And if you asked the zoo about conservation, they'd sit there and say, well, we do conservation because we educate people. And I say, education is education. It's not conservation. Well, <laughs> we breed endangered species. Well, that's breeding endangered species, that captive breeding. Okay, where do you do in conservation? There wasn't very much being done. And so when we built the cat even, the whole idea was to sit there and say, let's try to have animals here and get people inspired by seeing live animals to take an active role in conservation. So we started at the time, um, before I started the cat even, I was an airline pilot. And I could travel around the world and talk to people and see things. And I started meeting researchers in the field and asking them what help they would need from me to be able to make their operation work. And so we started developing this concept of trying to link our facility to then people in the field doing work with cats. 
And so the cat even became a tool that I can use the illustration to say, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, you can't just jump on an airplane, fly in the Kathmandu and just walk up the mountain. You need to strategize, you need to plan, you need to get permits, you need to have <clears throat> base camps to work from. So think of the cat even as that tool to get yourself set up. But to save cats in the wild, we need to assault the mountain and that's climb in Everest is the same type of thing. So we can use the cat even to help in conservation, but the cat even isn't the direct big focus of what's going on. It's what gets people to pay attention. Obviously I wouldn't be on this podcast with you if I didn't have the cat even. So that's the tool to get things or get people inspired to do conservation, like I said before. So then the cat even self is um, open to the public. We do lots of education programs. Uh, we have our cats out on a, a trail that we have a guided tour. It's, you don't free walk the facility. So we have a guide, a docent out there teaching you what to do about what we do about conservation and then individual cats and how the cats came here and why they're here. And um, so a little different than a zoo in the sense that we, I think we have a, a more personal interaction with things, uh, with the people that come there. And then um, our, our overall goal is try to save cats in the wild. Okay. And I notice some, sometimes when I see them on TV, the sanctuaries, it almost looks like the animals are just behind a chain link fence, not like a big thick cage like a zoo. I'm, I'm kind of scared to be around stuff like that. So can you confirm, am I going to be safe if I'm at one of these places or these things? Can they get out at all? No, we've never had an escape from an animal. California is a little bit different than some places in the sense that California requires that you meet certain requirements that they have set up. And uh, those requirements, uh, you know, for big cats, you need nine gauge chain, uh, chain link or uh, welded wire fencing. And you have to have poles of certain diameter and different things that way. So um, it's really pretty safe in California. Some of these states have been very restrictive for a long time as far as having uh, big cats go. So, no, I, I, I would feel perfectly safe. I mean, obviously, we have a bunch of kids come around every year, and we have barriers between uh, the people and the cats also, and then we have guides out there with you to help uh, keep those situations well. And you made a comment there that I just want to address real fast, too. Uh, we're not a sanctuary. I don't consider myself a sanctuary. Okay. Sanctuary in the animal world has become one of those terms that's it's not used correctly with what uh, facilities are. I don't rescue cats, and so I don't consider myself a sanctuary. Or I could say I consider myself a sanctuary. A lot of other places aren't sanctuaries. And so the words is kind of weird. We call ourselves Wild Animal Park, and I can tell you we get our cats in all different ways. And so sanctuary is just one of those words that's really difficult because it takes a while to define with our uh, business and the cat world or as they in the animal world. It's very interesting uh, term that connotates a, a lot of different uh, notions in people's heads about what they think should be happening or not happening at a facility. Okay. That's awesome. So do you, other than big cats, do you guys have any other types of animals out there? Um, yeah, thank you. No, um, it's called the cat haven. And so my idea was I divide the world into two categories. There's cats and cat food. And uh, <laughs> I don't particularly care too much about the other side of things. So we have cats here, and I think we're one of the only facilities in the country uh, that have all the big cats on display. So we have lion, tiger, leopard, jaguar, cheetah, snow leopard, cloud leopard, and mountain lion. Those are the big-bodied cats, and then we have another, you know, a whole bunch of other small cats. So we have 15 species represented here, 
and only cats. Okay. Some of those other ones that start to get other animals, do you think that's because they just get into this? They want just random other animals? Or is that what makes them bring up? Do they know about those other animals? Or what makes them? I just noticed that, you know, some places have different, like, bears. They'll like mix expand. them. Not necessarily mix them, but, yeah, they expand. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people, okay, you got to think in terms of um, there's different ways and why people get into this and do things like this. Most people get into animals on the private sector side of things just because they have an interest and they want to get into animals and do things. And then they get one animal, and then they think, well, that's pretty cool. Let's see if we can get one of these, and let's <laughs> get one of these. And so some things just grow that way. Uh, not really by plan, but just because of what people want to do. And I've always had a focus on cats. Uh, a guy brought a mountain lion to my cast in seventh grade, and that was what inspired me. I've always wanted to have a mountain lion as a pet, and that's where it all started for me. And then in California, you're required to have two years full-time experience before you can be permitted to have an animal. And so then my whole focus changed away from having it as a pet and to doing some productive for conservation, as I spoke about earlier. So, yeah, people just have varying tastes. And then if people want to have a zoo represent different animals, then they're going to end up with a lot of different things. Okay. So you're around these huge cats all the time, which makes you definitely more brave than I am. Um, is there any animal that you, you fear? I mean, you're around these huge ones. Is there any other animal that's more scary to you? or? Well, I, I fear is a different word that maybe doesn't apply, but I do respect my animals. Okay. If you look on YouTube, there's a bobcat and, and, and lynx that can kill deer. You know, so you're Jeez. looking at a 15, 20-pound bobcat that can really, you know, create harm for you uh, if you're not careful and do things the way you're supposed to do things. So we set up our facility where we have lockouts for all our animals. So we don't have to have direct contact with any of our animals if we don't want to do that. Okay. But a lot of our animals we choose to have that direct contact with. And that's not the ones that, you know, I'm going, wow, this can be really a problem. If I get in with this cat, we have an issue. Trainers and people that do work that way are probably a little bit more um, hands-on, active. That's what they have to do. We don't have to do that kind of stuff, so we pick and choose what animals we work with and which ones we don't. And, like, I have a, a baby lion right now. He's 95 pounds, and he's getting to be, you know, very playful. And, and you just got to be careful with cats like this. And they give you clues and signs, and you can tell when things get to the point where you sit there and say, you know what, I just don't want to take this chance anymore or this risk. And then, like I said, we can use lockouts and um, all kinds of different things that way so that we don't have to have direct contact with the animal. Okay. Speaking of risks, what is one of the dumbest things you've ever had a customer do? I know somebody's probably had to try to climb the fence or do something crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, over the years we've had a lot of crazy stuff go on. You know, we're pretty good about a lot of that stuff because we have barriers and we have staff that goes out with people all the time. Our docent staff keeps people under control. So we don't have a lot of crazy things like that i you know you get the, the stuff that annoys me is we have a, a a long walk path that comes up to the building and there's a, a gate out there and all that and then we open the gate for people to walk through and we have people drive their cars up to the building and completely bypass the hundred car parking lot <laughs> out there and i'm like always going how does this happen how do people drive on this walkway up to the building and look at me going, oh, we're not supposed to come here? Like, oh, my wow. gosh. <laughs> it's, um, so, yeah, so that's – and the reason – and, again, it's the, the, the whole thing why I talk about why I always wanted to have uh, staff out there with people is because 
one is I wanted people to have somebody they can connect with and sit there and talk to about the animals, but also just to keep the animals safe from people throwing things or, like you say, go over the barrier and, you know, grab the wire or do something that way stupid. So we have staff, and I've always had guided tours. I, I don't want to do non-guided tours so that people stay safe and the animals stay safe too. Yeah. Um, so from what I've seen on some of these like YouTube videos stuff, it looks like tigers are fed like dead cows or dead animal parts like that. What are some other type of meats they eat? And, um, and for instance, if people feed their, they say like if you feed your dog like an animal or people that would feed like snakes or animals, that sometimes it causes them to crave the blood or to get, they get meaner from that. Is that the same thing with tigers? Like, can you feed them tiger feed and, <laughs> and keep them calm or does feeding them meat cause them to be meaner at all? Or does that not make a difference at all? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question because, you know, a lot of people have misconceptions and don't understand cats. And again, that's why we do this stuff is try to help people understand that uh, it doesn't make a difference. They don't have a bloodlust for anything that way. Um, they eat meat. Uh, cats are carnivores. So all they eat is meat and uh, we feed out uh, chicken and then the other source of red meat is either beef or horse and uh, people then get all upset about horses <laughs> but the idea with us with horses is we've done this for a long time and we uh, allow people to bring their horse to us when it's at the end of its life have a vet sign off saying this is you know the end of the horse that you know or it's lame and they can't fix it signed off by a vet then we mainly put the horse down we can't euthanize them with drugs you know then we have to have them off meds and there's all kinds of criteria we use for uh, feeding the cats that way but it's a great source of red meat it's very lean the cats like horse a lot better than beef most of the time and so uh we feed out in bowls and when we talk about um the tiger king you know a lot of people saw how Joe is feeding his cats. That's completely different than what we do here. Our, our food's measured out daily um, to the ounce. Um, whatever's not eaten is weighed again and put in charts so we know exactly what these cats are doing food-wise. They all get vitamin supplements on their food. And then a lot of our cats are older cats or have uh, medical issues, so they get medication, either pain relief for the arthritis or um, if they're on um, antibiotics for something that's going on that way. So all our cats are monitored very closely every day with their food content because that becomes a key indicator for us to be able to know if the cat's feeling well or doing well is food and are they pooping on the other end. Those are the <laughs> two things that we can see what's going on. Cats hide their medical issues very well they're top of the line predators they don't want people to see that or other animals to see that they're weak and so they stay strong until it gets really bad so you got to be able to look at those indicators in food uh, with what we feed the red meat and chicken gives us the best indication on how well the cat's doing health-wise so I'm I'm, I'm going to say I'm I'm going to say I'm kind of like a tiger because sometimes my throat will be hurting and my wife will be like you should go to the doctor I'm like no I'm fine I'm trying to I try to hide as long as possible. So you act like a cat. <laughs> exactly, and that's what makes it hard when you have animals that you can't come in direct contact with. Sometimes is just being able to make that read and to be able to see. And our keeper staff is very good at at looking at our animals and and being able to see what's going on, but. Like I said, that food indicator is a great thing for us to be able to understand. And if you're just throwing food out there, throwing a dead cow out there, you don't know how much they're eating or what's going on. So yeah. for us, all the cats eat out of a bowl. 
and we measure in, uh, those contents very carefully and we understand what they're doing every day. That's good. So do you ever take your cats into your house, whether, you know, just to hang out with them or for any reason at all, would you take your cats into your house? I have in the past. I don't have anything right now. A lot of times we have um, cubs. So a lot of the cubs grow up inside the house. And the only reason why I make a point of that is it's not always because we want them in the house. If you've ever had a tiger in your house as a young cat, they're wreak havoc on everything you own oh i bet like a puppy you know just destroys everything exactly so it's not always the funnest thing to do but a lot of times the small animals that we hand raise or or i should say young animals that we hand raise need 24 hour day care and so it just is more incumbent on us to be able to have you know a better uh, way of being able to deal with it if the cat's with us all the time so then they would be in the house Mm -hmm. i don't have we don't have older cats in the house it's just not something we do it's uh it's better they like it out in their enclosures and they like us to visit them it's better for us to visit them than us them to visit us sometimes yeah okay and we mentioned earlier we're going to ask you some stuff about the documentary of tiger king do you believe the release of tiger king um is going to help or hurt, hurt your facility at all well always publicity regardless if it's good or bad aids in our facility because it brings attention to uh animals or in this situation cats and when when people see stuff like that they go oh there's a cat place yeah, I think, well, let's go up and see that cat place and see what's going on. So all this stuff always helps. The problem with us is timing on this right now because of the uh, COVID-19 situation. The governor of California has locked everything down. So we've been closed for a little over a week now okay. and not having the public up. So I think if we were open, we would see an increase in business. But uh, since we're closed, it's not doing us very much good right now. But, yes, any publicity like this always draws more attention and more people come out and see what you're about. That's good for you guys. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, though, if people are going to show up thinking it's going to be some wild, crazy show like the documentary. Or like, hey, he's not letting us hold these baby t- tigers or, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, we always get people all the time asking if they can pet the babies and if they can do this and do that. I mean, that's pretty much common nature with people. People want to interact. They want to have some kind of experience that way. And um, so it's hard because we very rarely do that and we limit what goes on. And there's lots of reasons for doing that. But um, yeah, it's a common thing where, yeah, they see things like this and then they go, well, can I pet your tiger? Can I have your, you know, interest? Yeah, some kind of thing with your lion. It's like, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. It's federal law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and when I first spoke to you, you mentioned that you actually know uh, both Joe and Doc from the documentary. Um, does the documentary do them justice, or are they nothing like their characters on there that they're trying to portray them as? Well, um, yes and no. So I can tell you that the first time we met Joe, we we went to his facility, and Joe is everything like he is on the show in a sense is he's very flamboyant. He's very outgoing. He's very, whatever you, whatever you kind of portray as him out there uh, being Tiger King is Joe. <laughs> and so that part of it is correct. But Joe to us was always a very nice guy. Spent a lot of time with us when we went to the facilities, showing us everything, go out to dinner. And he's just very personable guy that way. So yeah, you know, in some ways it's Joe and in some ways you don't see the other part of Joe. Doc, same way. Doc has is, is got a, an operation that's amazing over there, and Doc really loves his animals, um, and, and, and you see it when you're with him and you're around Bubbles the elephant, um, his 
elephant bubbles. We swam in the river with bubbles many times and done different things that way with them and his chimps. He, they're just part of his family. Um, so that part's, you know, correct. And then, um, yeah, he has multiple partners and that kind of stuff. And so that's just kind of the strange side of things that people just don't understand a lot of times. And it's correct. But I think like any TV show, they always want to flare on something that is the quirky part of things and then highlight those quirky parts so that people think, wow, these guys are just really weird. But, you know, both guys have sides of them where you sit there and have a great experience with them, and they're both very personal. They've both been very nice to me over the years um, that we've known them. That's awesome. And what do you what do you know about Carol? Is she this good person they kind of make her out to be on this documentary, or do you think she's kind of different than what they're showing about her? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know Carol personally. I just know she's been a big uh, pain in the industry for many years. She is not very nice to people I know and not very nice to situations. We did an offsite with Archita at a church for a vacation Bible school one time. And her people mounted a campaign against us, hit the church with 500 emails or something like that, just saying that we were mean, awful people that abuse our animals. And it's because she doesn't want people taking animals out and doing, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there saying, you know, we inspire a lot of people to do a lot of different things because they have an experience with their animals. Why would you want to take that away? And it's all selfish on her part. She thinks she's the only one that should be able to have animals, and the only one that does things right, and everybody else should never have animals because animals shouldn't be in cages. Well, she has them in cages. She <laughs> has them in terrible cages, worse than most people's facilities. So the whole attitude of Carol is one of just, you know, elitism, elitism where she thinks she knows it all and knows better and everybody else shouldn't be a part of this thing, and I think that's just wrong. That's not American. Yeah, it seems like she wants to point out the bad in everybody else, but when they come back at her, she's gonna. She wants to seem like she's the one doing it all right. Yeah, and, and I, I just, you know, it's 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 very frustrating this business because of the fact that you're always getting attacked by a lot of different people and animal activists, PETA, HSUS, all these organizations, Animal Legal Defense Fund, all these guys are constantly, all they do is spend money to try to shut people like us down because we're private uh, zoo doing things that uh, they don't like. And I sit there and say, I don't understand why that's that way other than they just have affinity towards, they just think they don't want to see animals in cages. And Peter said that for a long time, that they think animals are better off dead than in a cage. And I sit there and say, you know, that's not true. And Carol files into the same category of just saying, you know, I just don't want to see her. Her goal is to eliminate all animals, all cats from cages, you know, in whatever, 10 years or something like that, but 20, 30 or something along those lines. And I'm sitting there going, if we do that, we lose the whole opportunity to be able to inspire people to take active roles in conservation. It's a lot different for me to show you a live cheetah than it is for you to watch one on Discovery or something like that. Inspiration comes from being. Uh, having some kind of experience and to not be able to have that experience just limits the ability for us to be able to save animals in the wild. And I just think these people have lost track of reality with this stuff. They just have this overwhelming passion. They can't have, you just, you just can't have an animal cage. It's a bad thing. My cats are happy in enclosures. They're happy every day with what they do. And I can give you an example. When I went to Africa here in November, 
um, we lead a safari every year, and I saw this herd of elephants in the northern part of the Serengeti, and one elephant's down on its knees eating, and the other one over here was having issues with trying to eat. Another one had a busted ear, and I looked over, and I go, what's wrong with that elephant? And it's got half its trunk missing, oh, and the other one had the tip of its trunk missing, and the other one, the broken ear, and I'm sitting there going to my, my friend, John B. I'm going, what's wrong with these elephants? And he goes, oh, they go down the watering hole. And they get their uh, trunks bit off by the crocodiles down there. Oh, wow. And I'm like going, okay, we have all these people in the States complaining about how awful it is for elephants to be in, in captivity because of the stress and the wear and tear and all the stuff that goes on with them. And I'm thinking, man, all the elephants I know with my friends at their facilities are treated so well. And I go out to the wild, do you think these elephants are, are like happy-go-lucky every time they go to the watering hole going, oh, this is going to be a great experience? Well, they should probably stressed every day going to the watering hole. Exactly. Doing that. Exactly. So I don't think people have an understanding of, they think everything should be in the wild. And believe me, I love the wild. And I love going to see lions and cheetahs and, and servos caracals in Africa and tigers in India. I mean, it's a great thing to go out in the wild and see them. But being in captivity is not a bad thing if the animals are cared for well. And that's what we do at our facility. Okay. okay. And, and, and on the documentary, I noticed Carol makes it seem bad that uh, Joe was breeding the tigers. I don't know if she means in general or just because she thinks he's trying to make money off them. E either way, is it bad to breed them or is that something, um, wh what would be hurting? Because I know one guy on there mentioned if, if they're going extinct, why not breed them to help bring more out? Is that a, do you see it as a good thing or a bad thing? Breeding is always a difficult situation in the sense of what do people do with the animals once they're bred? So we've had 14 jaguars born at the cat even. And all those cats are accounted for right now to this day. I can tell you where all the cats are. Um, so I have several here at the cat even, and then I have different ones scattered out around the United States in different places. I think if you're going to breed cats, you need to be responsible with what happens to cats for the rest of their life. And we have a policy in place that if we breed a cat, if it goes to you know, whatever facility, and I have one at Doc's place. If I breed it and it goes to Doc's place, Doc can own the cat, but if Doc is going to change locations of that cat, then that cat needs to come back to me or we have to approve where the cat goes. So that's just responsible ownership and responsible breeding at that point. And I think Joe got out of hand with his breeding with what was going on. And so then you sit there and say, okay, if you're breeding and breeding and breeding, that's fine, but where are these cats going? And are there places for these cats to go that are nice places that the cats can be treated well? So breeding can be okay. It can be good if responsible uh, ownership of the animal is, is maintained. It's not okay if you keep producing and producing and producing, and if the cats just need to find places they end up with real terrible situations of facilities that shouldn't be running to begin with. And that's, again, what people don't understand. Yeah, there's some real bad facilities out there and, and places that shouldn't have animals, and that needs to be dealt with. But that doesn't mean everybody's that way. That doesn't mean everybody breeds, and it doesn't mean any of that kind of stuff. So you got to look at things in a situational to situational basis. California restricts breeding. You have to have a breeding permit to be able to breed, and they keep track of that stuff a lot better. But there's four states, I think, left in the in the U.S. where they don't have any restrictions on anything at all. You can own an animal in Nevada. You can have a tiger if you want a tiger. There's no uh, restrictions on you that way. But most of those states are starting to crack down, too, and they're starting to be less and less ability to be able to do that. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask if, if – I know before anybody could just buy one off someone – 
I didn't know if it was illegal everywhere yet. So is that something, is, is it something that goes on in the States where you're not allowed to, is there people illegally selling uh, tigers kind of like on a tiger black market, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Well, there's always a black market in anything. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you start asking about anything, you can probably find a black market on it. If there's some restrictions on uh, being able to get the item, but for the most part, uh, most, cat things and and animals in a lot of ways are getting better under control you know there's no restrictions on reptiles or on um so a lot of illegal reptile stuff goes on a lot of illegal bird stuff too and that usually comes from out of the country uh the people smuggling things into the country that way but as far as cats go it's getting less and less and one of the key indicators i see to that is a lot of rescue so-called rescue facilities what they call themselves are having to look outside the country to rescue things because they there's not that many tigers around anymore that people can say geez i had a tiger i don't want it anymore so i think a lot of that's changing now than what it used to be but there are still a few states like i said that you can obtain a a tiger but again now you have problems because they passed laws a while ago that says you can't sell uh animals across state lines um, and also you can't, unless you have permits to be able to do it. And then the other thing that becomes restrictive too is you can't send a, a tiger across to another state unless they have a USDA license. So they have to be licensed by the feds to be able to have it. And, and there's not a lot of private people that have them as pets that are uh, have USDA license anymore. Okay. And, and I know you mentioned earlier that um... – you, you will get some more customers probably from this. Besides that, anything else good that you think is coming out of this documentary? I think one of the great things for me that came out of it, it exposed uh, Carol Baskin to what she is. Um, again, that becomes one of these things where you sit there and say, you know, the way she is and what she does with things is just, um, it's, it's, uh, it's appalling as far as uh, people in the industry goes. And they make all these things about saying, you know, um, there's more cats in captivity than there is in the wild. And so that's a bad thing. And I'm like going, this doesn't have anything to do with anything that way. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad thing that we have so few tigers in captivity. But that doesn't mean that the tigers in the captivity are a bad thing having that many. What's a bad thing is if they're at bad facilities and not taken care of correctly. So being Carol exposed to what she is and what she's done, and especially in this industry, I mean, she drove Joe crazy. And and Joe shouldn't have done anything that he did like he did. But again, you can see if, if you're predisposed to that kind of stuff and you're constantly getting attacked by somebody that way, then you're going to lash out sometimes with Joe's personality, and that's what he ended up doing. And, and Carol facilitated a lot of that stuff. And uh, that's what's that's what to me is I, I think a great thing that the show just exposed her for what she was and I, if you watch different things it's interesting um, you know her google rating started going down it's been reset every day because so many people are are saying oh my gosh she's terrible at this point well <laughs> she never got any of that stuff before she always dished it out to everybody else but she never got it herself so to me that's a good thing that happens with the series is it just exposed Carol Baskin for what she is. Yeah, when I was reading about, like, different, just reading different people's stuff online, like on Twitter and stuff, and a lot of people, yeah, it seemed like they they were against her. A lot of people were, like, noticing, the, you know what I mean? They were seeing the evil, the bad in her, I guess you would say. Um, so why don't you let everyone else know, uh, let people know where else, where they could find you guys, uh, maybe, like, online, um, if there's anything they could help to – I know you guys were raising money for something I think I saw on Facebook – or anything you help coming up, uh, go ahead and let everyone know about that. Sure. Uh, we're on uh, Facebook at PS Cat Even, and then we also have a website at 
at cathaven.com. That's C-A-T-H-A-V-E-N.com, cathaven.com. And we're raising funds right now just because we're completely closed due to the virus here. And we don't know when we're going to open again. You know, the governor's talking two or three months with some situations. And for us, people understand, let's say, you know, everybody's in bad situations right now. And I understand all of that. The difference with us is that we need to maintain these animals. We've cut our staff back in hours and we're doing the things we need to do. But we still have to maintain an operation like we're open, even though we're closed. The cats, I can't stop feeding them. I can't stop giving them meds. I can't stop any of that kind of stuff. We have to keep everything operational that way. So we still have a lot of costs involved with no revenue coming in. So we've been trying to raise money just to keep the operation going until we get back open again. And so if people want to help out that way, they can. If they're interested in conservation and they want to get involved in some way in conservation, we have kids do Coins for Cats programs at schools where they raise money for a conservation project and we send all that money directly to the researcher in the field. So we work with different researchers uh, in Brazil, Panama, Costa Rica, the Snow Leopard Conservancy. We're working in Africa with cheetahs and we're working with fishing cats in India. So there's a lot of ways people can get involved if they're interested that way too. Um, to just wear a 501c3 so we can, uh, if people want to make a donation to that, we can uh, get them the tax write off. And uh, so, any way people want to help get involved in uh, conservation or our facility, uh, we're always happy to have people uh, give us money. Or sometimes people want to do internships <laughs> or things that way too. We offer those type of things to Cat Even. So, um, pretty much uh, any way people want to help, we can usually figure out some way to do something. Okay, and and next time we're in California, are you going to be able to take us on a special VIP, uh, very important podcast tour, personalized <laughs> by be, you directly take us? I'd be happy to do it. Yes, that's no Yay. problem. I take people out. We do specialty tours at the Cat Even too. So if people want to do something special, they can do something that way. So we do walks with the cheetahs, where people could participate in that, or we do breaks with the lions, and we do a lot of different fun things. They're all on our website. You can look at it. But yes, I. I, I personally take you out. That'd be fun. That's awesome. awesome. Thank and, you. And one last question. I got a slide in there. Do you think Carol fed her uh, ex-husband to the Tigers? You know, I don't know, but I think <laughs> there's so many weird things that went on. It wouldn't surprise me. And it could happen. That's a, a possibility of things that could happen. So, uh, and Carol, the way she is, um, I don't know. I, I, I can't speculate completely, but it's one of those mysteries out there that well, maybe we'll find out one day. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hope. Well, thank you for your time, Dale. We really do appreciate it. We hope you have a great day. Keep yourself and your animals safe. And uh, that's it for us yes. today. Thank you, Dale. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me on. This has been fun. All right. Until next time, everyone. See you later.